It was actually one of the most important moments of press history because we met with a, a, a pretty prominent legal team here in L.A. And their recommendation was you should possibly consider not opening your doors um, because to get shut down so early on and to have made so much noise around it, it's going to be really difficult to recover. Hey everyone, welcome to the Founder Hour. This is your co-host, Posh. For episode 38, we sat down with Hayden Slater, the founder and CEO of Press Juicery, the company that has taken the country by storm with their delicious cold press juice. We talk about Hayden's journey of graduating film school in New York and embarking on an eight-month trip to Southeast Asia where the inspiration for Press came about after doing a 30-day juice cleanse. He tells the story of how Press first opened its doors, got shut down multiple times by the FDA, and eventually found its way to becoming one of the fastest-growing retailers in America. We discuss what success means to Hayden, how he views competition, what keeps him up at night, and the impact that press has had on the community and beyond. Before you start tuning into the episode, make sure to click subscribe, give us that five-star rating, oh, and just enjoy the show. Here we go. Hey everyone, you're tuning in the Founder Hour. We're your host Pat and Posh, and we're here with Hayden Slater. He's the co-founder and CEO of Press Juicery. Yep. Hayden, it's great to have you on the show. Awesome, super excited to be doing this. So before we kind of get into it, uh, kind of wanted to talk about your dog Finley here. Yes. She's she's hanging out with us. I know she was the first employee at Press Juicery. Yes. Uh, so what kind of dog is she? How long have you had her? What yeah, she like? no, she's kind of like, I've become that weird guy who like is obsessed with his dog, kind of brings her everywhere I go. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I rescued her about, probably about five, five and a half years ago now. Um, she's a Roddy mix, but it mm. depends who asks. So if it's like a landlord, I always say a lab mix, because uh. you know, you're not <laughs> supposed to have Roddy's. Um, but no, she's, uh, she's like a, probably like six and a half, maybe seven-ish, um, mm. and she's just, you know, kind of uh she's awesome she she's getting a tummy rub on the couch right now yeah <laughs> if we get interrupted i'm sure she's gonna probably want to you know exit the room then come back in so it's fine we, we, we just i mean we keep these conversations so raw so all the background noise the other day we were in like a kitchen so we heard like all the noise from the kitchen so it's i have spent many yeah. a days juicing in a kitchen yeah. i know, yeah, I know yeah, about yeah. all that noise yep. that mm-hmm. comes with yeah, in fact i think it was a blender in the background so, right yeah, yeah. You know, sound like a drill it was like a massive blender i get it <laughs> yeah no I get well hayden it. um so did you grow up in la yeah so i'm born and raised here um i uh i grew up in west la uh and i went to uh I've pretty much been here my entire life. I spent about six years in New York. So I went to college out there, hung out, out mm-hmm. there for a little bit. Um, thought, you know, I'd stay, but L.A. kind of brought me back. Mm. And uh, I know you went to NYU and you studied the arts there? Yeah, so I went to, I went to Tisch um, and I was in a, a program called Playwrights Horizon. So it was kind of a, a little of everything. Playwriting, writing, directing, producing, you know, we kind of, uh, we dabbled in everything. And was the goal for you to like get into the entertainment industry? Was it like Broadway, film, yeah, TV? On, so honestly, like my entire life, I had always been industry focused. So every internship I had ever had as a kid was like interning for one of my friend's parents on like 
a movie or a TV show. Um, went to NYU for, for film, essentially. Graduated. Mm-hmm. My first gig was at HBO. Mm-hmm. And I was there for, I want to say, maybe five years. Um, and then I kind of had this, like, aha of, like, no disrespect or hopefully no one takes offense to this. But everyone I kind of aspired to be like, I didn't really want to be like them. And I kind of started realizing early on that um, as a creative, it was a lot more challenging than I had anticipated. You know, there's like that real world side of entertainment where the corp guys come in and they kind of want to have. So uh, I never went abroad in college, which was like a huge regret of mine. So when I wrapped one of the shows I I was working on, uh, I flew to Southeast Asia Asia on a one-way ticket and just spent... Alone. Pardon? Alone. Yeah, I was there solo for like almost eight months. Oh, wow. It was kind of like, you know, I just went out there and uh, that's kind of actually where like a lot of of the inspiration for for Press Juicery came from. Were you, I mean, recently actually a friend of ours also had a solo trip and he went to London uh, and I was... I'm, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm a very social, you know, extroverted guy, and I just need people around me all the time. Uh, but he had a great time, and he kind of just was able to discover more of himself. You know, did you fear, you know, being alone on that trip, or was it something that you were actually excited about? So, I, you know, I'm kind of like you. I've always mm-hmm. been a social person. Um, I love being around people, mm-hmm. and I have kind of my entire mm-hmm. life. Um, I was excited to kind of do a solo thing, and the thing with the solo trip is – it's uh, it's on you, you know? So, like, if you don't make effort to meet people, like, you're eating solo every day. Right. So it kind of forces you Got to it. kind of get out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, in a weird way, like, the hardest week I had during those eight months was when a buddy came and visited me from L.A. Because it was so, like, they wanted to do mm-hmm. everything that we yeah. would, you know. And it kind of took me out of that, like, just go with the flow type of mentality I was in. Were you working there or is it was no, it just No, no, it was all just like go and chill. Um I started in Thailand um and and almost immediately uh I attempted a 5-day juice cleanse <laughs> and I felt pretty good after 5 days so I kept go- going. Mm-hmm. Um when I hit 30 days, I I kind of called it quits and although excessive uh, it was kind of that, ah, this is what you're supposed to feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, like my energy, my clarity, like it really was. And that kind of inspired the rest of the trip. I mean, were you were you not feeling that way before? I mean, were you... Know, you- yeah, good, good question. You know, I'm, I'm born and raised in L.A. And yeah. I've always been like somewhat educated mm-hmm. in nutrition, mm-hmm. but never practiced it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like a fast food junkie growing up. Uh, one of my partners at Prest and I became friends since middle school. Mm-hmm. And, like, we take those, like, 15 minutes of, like, nutrition and hit up, like, two fast food joints, like, yeah, yeah. regularly. Which one was your favorite? Dude, it changed every day. You know? <laughs> but, like, I'd hit, up, I'd hit up, like, something savory and something sweet and, like, spud nuts, donuts, like, this weird hole in the wall yeah, often, yeah. you know, uh, we'd make an appearance in. Um, but I think just eating like that for so long and feeling kind of so, you know, like lethargic and yeah. low energy just became my normal. Mm-hmm. So when I say like uh, that epiphany of, oh, this is actually how you're supposed to feel, it was the first time that I had really been disciplined about kind of what I was consuming. Mm-hmm. And what inspired you, like when you were in Southeast Asia, what inspired you to go on the juice cleanse? Was there like a moment that like, yeah. I'm going to do this? So um, so I went, to, I went to NYU, as I mentioned, and I had a required yoga class. And, like, no dude wants, like, an 8 a.m. yoga class. No, thank especially you. Especially when you're, like, living in New York. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but in walks this like beautiful blonde with like, you know, just that energy that like you could feel. Um, and she kind of like opened my eyes to all these words I had always heard of, but never really done anything other than just, you know, yeah. um, yoga, chanting, macrobiotic food. And long story short, she went to, to Tish, got cast in a Broadway show. Uh, and at 24, right before it opened, she was diagnosed with an extremely rare form of cancer wow. uh, and given six months. Wow. And, you know, she traveled, went to a couple of specialists and... Essentially, you know, she had this epiphany of if I can't control what's happening in my body, I'm going to control what I can. And so she started juicing and then she started, you know, macrobiotic food. And from there as a performer, she would play a song every day and dance to it. And it's been 16 years. She's a New York Times bestseller. She's been on Oprah half a dozen times. Um, So not only did she kind of define Survivor, but watching her every day carry a bottle of greens juice just like really influenced me. So I think that experience is what led me to want to kind of right. attempt it on my own. And and I think the 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 whole concept of like juicing has has obviously grown a lot since then um with you guys being a big pioneer in that but what was it like back then? Was it like you had to like just kind of go and get all the ingredients yourself and juice it yourself or were there companies that were like Yeah, totally. You that? know, look, I th- I think there's always this idea of like, is it a, is it a, a fad or did you invent? I mean, the truth is juice has been around for thousands of years. Like none of us invented it. Yeah. I think what we did here at Prest is we kind of looked at the landscape of what existed at the time and created something that we felt was different. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, you know, we started Prest in 2010. If you would have asked someone what is juice, the response would have been Jamba, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's mm-hmm. really kind of what our country thought of as juice. Um, not to knock them, but they're really not juice. I mean, right. they're really made from like sugar. Yeah, I mean, just like you know, <laughs> yeah. lack of <laughs> lack of ingredients and, and using a lot of kind of uh, add-ins and whatnot. Um, Which so, has its own market, I guess. Yeah, of course. And look, you know, the thing with press has always been like to each their own. You know. So, anyways, back to your question, which is a great question. Um, when I looked at the landscape, there were really there was Jamba Juice. There was a place called Beverly Hills Juice Club, which mm-hmm. is kind of the originator of the cold pressed juice, mm-hmm. run by you know a husband and wife. They go to the farm, they go to the produce market every morning. They make it them themselves. When they sell out, they sell out. Amazing product, but really difficult to kind of go mass and almost for the extremist, a bit of that granola feel. Yeah. And then the alternative at the time was a place called, uh, or I don't know if they had a shop, it was called Blueprint Cleanse. Mm-hmm. And Blueprint kind of made cleansing for the masses, but they had this kind of tagline, we think you drink, and it really never resonated with me. Mm-hmm. I always had this, if I'm going to drop a, con- a couple hundred bucks, I want to be part of the thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every person kind of has their own different, you know, everyone wants different goals. Um because it really is like a, a lifestyle mindset change. Like totally. You have to be bought into it. You have to be committed to it. You can't just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And you're going to give up it after you know, a couple sure. days. And on the reverse, you also, there's some who don't think so hard. You know, people always say like, what cleanse do I say? What should I do? And I'm always like, drink a juice. You know, drink a juice a day, a juice a week, a juice a month, like whatever it is. And like, if you start feeling better, drink more. And if you don't, like, it's all good. Huh. You know, I think like especially being born and raised in LA where health and wellness can be a bit elitist. You have to do this or you have to do that. You know, Prest was kind of born out of this idea of like, do what you want, you know, like let's kind of simplify everything. 
let's just create this better for you products. We only use high quality produce. You know, we don't we don't kind of have any add-ins or anything that you shouldn't be consuming. And, you know, we kind of have this kid in a candy shop type of feel where there's something for anyone wherever they are on their journey. So, Hayden, speaking of pressed, when did you begin to have the idea that, okay, I've done this 30-day cleanse now, you know, in Southeast Asia. You know, I see the remarkable effect that it had on my friend who was, you know, supposed to, you know, not live and, you know, knock on wood, she's, you know, still alive. Um, when did you take it from, this is pretty damn awesome to, I might need to start selling these. Yeah. So I I did that in Thailand from there, kind of influenced the next six months of my travel. So I did a, you know, crazy, like 21 day silent retreat. And I lived on an ashram in India. And when I came back to the States, it was very evident that I really wanted to take this newfound knowledge and share it and pursue it professionally so share it with other people and also like it had become uh almost a passion pretty quickly um so i came back i partnered with two of my childhood friends uh almost immediately uh, and we all had this kind of love for the product but came from a different point of view so i had my own personal journey and for me you know you drink a greens juice in the morning and like all of a sudden, you want to work out. You want to eat. It was just that catalyst, you know, that first step into being cleaner. Uh, Carly, my one of my partners, had unfortunately just lost her mom to, to cancer. And by no means did she make any claims that she was going to heal or remedy or cure the world. But this idea of four or five pounds of produce in a bottle ain't doing anything bad for you. Right. Uh, and then Hedy, our other co-founder, uh, had a four or five-year-old son at the time. And... This idea of masking nutrients and, you know, a cool green colored apple juice, as she would call it, really excited her. So what we didn't realize was even though we, ha- we came from different places, because of what we were trying to accomplish, we almost represented the masses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you think about, you know, people with their own struggles, the youth, and then kind of as a preventative medicine a lot of people kind of fall under that. So intuitively, we were just kind of making decisions that spoke to, to a lot more people, you know, than just ourselves. Did, you, did any of you have any sort of, you know, business experience or, you know, had, you, had any of you started a startup before? Yeah, so no. <laughs> like none of us knew yeah. anything. And I think actually in hindsight, that was probably a huge benefit. Right. Because we made kind of intuitive decision mm-hmm. based on what we, we as consumers would want. Right. Um, but no, dude, I mean... I, no, I mean, literally, like, I don't even think, it was like... I mean, beyond know, that, did you, I mean, besides your internships, did you have any experience, like, working after HBO, college? HBO, but it's okay. pretty creative, yeah. you know? So nothing like business, nothing structured. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, neither of my partners had it either. So we kind of came at this pretty blindly. Mm. Um, but again, I think that's kind of the magic of it, is, like, we really were passionate about it, and failing wasn't an option. And it really was, you know... You always hear in business that like you need your business plan and you need, we didn't you don't need you know for us we didn't do any of that. We yeah. didn't take any of the right steps. We just kind of, you know, to the best of our ability, kind of put one foot in front of the next and I think fortunately it was a combo of, you know, a great product at a perfect price point that was launched at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. You know, there clearly was like a pent-up demand for a product like this. 
So you're back home in LA and you, you know, you have this idea, I want to start this business. What was the first step? Yeah, we each threw 30 grand of our savings into like a little pot. So we started the company with $90,000. Um, Hetty was never meant to be a really active partner because she had a young kid. And Carly was kind of meant to, to be my right hand. Uh, and I don't want to say unfortunately, because it's a beautiful thing, but she got pregnant almost the month we launched and then kind of, you know, had a couple months of not feeling great. Um, but it was really kind of, you know, she, she to, as much as she could be there, she would. Um, and we, what we did was it was kind of magical. Uh, we got a, a cupcake shop here in Los Angeles to give us their kitchen at night. Nice. Uh, and we got a broom closet in West LA and Brentwood. Um, and they, you know, I convinced the landlord to give it to me for a, a grand a month. And I took the door off. I put a Dutch door and a refrigerator, and that became kind of our first shop. So I would make juice from, you know, from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. almost every single day with two guys on Craigslist. <laughs> load up my car, drive it over, and then Carly would kind of work the shop. And that's how it was born. Um, and you were selling out of there too, or was this just a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so we would make it in that cupcake shop. And in that time frame, 10 p.m. to 4 a.m.? No, so that's when I would make it. Okay. Then I would drive it to that kiosk, that broom closet. Got it, got it. And we would open that up and start selling it at, at, um, at you know, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., whenever we opened. But it was... Uh, it was I same, like, bo- same bottle, same labels? Uh, different label. It's changed a little bit. Same mm-hmm. bottle, same everything else. Yeah. Oh. Um, so how did people find out about You know, we had, we had a pretty dynamic response from the get-go. Um, I think we were selling out almost daily by like 10 a.m. And we just kind of thought it was our, our parents that were like going with their <laughs> friends and buying it all. Yeah. Um, we, we had such a strong response. We got a food truck in... in uh, we, we, our landlord on the west side saw what we were doing and wanted us to open a second one in Malibu. But being LA kids and knowing that Malibu can be a bit seasonal, we convinced him to rent us a parking spot. And we built a food truck that act as, acted as our second kind of uh, brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And we had the same dynamic response to this one as we did Brentwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, we opened a third location in West Hollywood. Um, and again, had a, had a really strong response. So I think it was after kind of three were up. And keep in mind, this is three shops with a total of less than 300 square feet. Um, we had the confidence that we were on to something that we should really kind of think through how we can expand. Why do you think the response from the consumer was so strong? Yeah, I think it's, I, I kind of think it's what I had mentioned earlier, which is that combination of a really solid product at the perfect price point at a time which it was just it was ready for there was a need for this i mean was there like a was there like a health craze at this time was it i mean it's popular hard to, to yeah you know, i mean it's it's hard to say i mean you're in la yeah, it's yeah. like the epicenter of health and right, wellness so right. i don't know if it was a particular time i just think we're in a community where people are always looking for what's next mm-hmm. and i think if you think about it you know we tend to complicate everything what we do is fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that we're raised forever. You know, eat your eat yep. your veggie, eat your, consume your fruits. It's not like we reinvented anything. We just kind of create, you know, we brought what everyone knows they should be consuming into a different format. And you branded it well and, you know, you have the yeah, market. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think about branding, you know, 
there's not to keep referencing the jambas, but you know, if you look at the jambas, it's a lot of color and a lot of a lot of fanciful names and you know, we really want to just clean cut, you know, black and white, classic, you know, branding where because yeah. um, the bottles are clear and the juice does all the that that was it. Like, much, let yeah. the ingredients tell the story, you know, and let's let I think consumers are a lot smarter and, you know, don't want all like the names and they, they don't want a masked product. Yeah. They want to know really clearly off the bat. What is it I'm consuming? You mentioned something about people in L.A. and I'm sure other parts of the world as well. They're always looking for what's next. Mm-hmm. You know, has that made it as a founder, as a business owner, has that made it difficult uh, for you to, you know, make sure you don't get, I guess, wiped away from what's coming next? Uh, I, I wouldn't say difficult. I would say exciting, probably a bit challenging. You know, as a founder, I, I'm, I definitely kind of lead... I'm probably a bit more creative than I am like operational. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mind naturally is always thinking of what's next. Um, how do I kind of let the the organization and our product offering evolve mm-hmm. by staying true to kind of the core of what it is we started? Mm-hmm. So, you know, a great example is um, Freeze. You know, we launched Freeze about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took us about two years of R&D to kind of perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Freeze is essentially, you know, an alternative uh, dairy-free soft serve mm-hmm. made from nothing but, but you know, produce and nuts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it was like that natural evolution, yeah. staying true to the ingredients that we already are consuming, mm-hmm. but using it in a format. And creating a product that has the potential to compete with the Froyo or ice cream category, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that was, you know, super exciting. Yeah, and I remember, I remember this particularly because I was actually telling Pat on the way here. So I, was, I graduated law school recently, and I was, uh, I think, a first or second year law student. And he had recently brought on uh, the legal, the chief legal, and I, I can't remember her name, unfortunately, right now. Um, but... We had a meeting back then for like a legal internship type thing. And I think that was a time when you guys were ready to roll out uh, the press freezes and you started opening. It was aggressive like movement towards opening the press juicery. So I started following, you know, your movement a little more. And um, I think you guys have done a spectacular job with uh, press freeze. I mean, I live in Glendale and at the Americana, Mm -hmm. it's every time, anytime I go, there's always a line. So, you know, that obviously speaks volumes to not only the product, but obviously the service that they're offering there as well. So well, I'm excited yeah. to see, you know, that also growing. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think, uh, and I say it often, and I don't say it because I'm sitting in the seat <laughs> I sit in. Um, my partners and I kind of took the risk. We took the first step to get this launched. But the second it was launched, this has always been like a collaborative atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, I think as a leader, I'm really confident uh, in my ability to lead but I'm also not insecure and acknowledging my weaknesses. And this has really kind of been like a family. And Mm -hmm. I say that because, you know, you mentioned the team, you mentioned the expansion. I mean, all of that is due to like the team behind, you know, the curtain. Yeah, it all happens behind the closed doors. Totally, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who want to take credit. Mm -hmm. Like, I almost know nothing. (laughs) You know, it's like I got the passion to like, and then the excitement to kind of, do it, but I nothing would have ever or would be, you know, accomplished if it wasn't for, you know, the hundreds of people that mm-hmm. have, you know, really wanted to be a part of this journey, that right. really believe in the work we're doing. 
Um, we, obviously, we talk to a lot of founders, and one topic that I really love is this topic of adversity. And I, I think any founder has really dealt with this. And kind of going back to like the early days when you know you were out of the the back kitchen, and you know I'm sure there are a lot of challenges just being in a s- small space and having to you know produce a product that's in high demand. Uh, but I know there's a situation with like the FDA, and mm-hmm. and you kind of got out of that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, dude, there's been so many of them. Um, well, the first one. Yeah, the first one. <laughs> you know, so what it was was we were making. I mentioned in a cupcake shop, and they had a you know grade A or letter A on their window, and we, being these naive kids to business, just assumed that covered the space. Yeah. What we didn't realize was like every business operating needs their own permit. Mm-hmm. So um, whether it was a competitor or someone called in the the, the health department uh, and reported that we were kind of, you know, working under this uh, this cupcake as a juice concept and that we should have our, our permits looked into. So they came, realized quickly that we weren't, and they shut us down. Um, it was actually one of the most important moments of press history because we met with a, a, a pretty prominent legal team here in L.A., and their recommendation was you should possibly consider not opening your doors um, because to get shut down so early on and to have made so much noise around it, it's going to be really difficult to recover. Um, and there was a moment of like, wow, is this, you know, are these lawyers right? And, you know, for us, it was like, F that, you know, we had built something we really believed in and we weren't going to allow something like that to stop us. Mm-hmm. And you know, we went through the proper protocol. We worked with the health department. Uh, about 14 days later, we got we were able to kind of start producing product again. Now under the correct permit. Yeah. Um, and the day we reopened was the strongest day of sales we had had to date. So it was just evident that there was there was a true loyalty and support that was being formed. Mm-hmm. Um, it also really kind of shaped the way we would run and grow this organization, you know, making sure that the compliance of both health and FDA take precedent to anything else. Um, there's a lot of organizations, and look, running a business is is tough. So, like, I, I got mad props for anyone who's doing it. Um, but there is a real expense, both time and monetarily, that is... Uh, needed to be in compliance mm-hmm. with the regulations set forth by FDA and health department. Um, and going through that experience was amazing because it, it, it almost, you know, embedded in the culture that that will always take precedent. Mm-hmm. So I remember, you know, maybe four months after that, I cont- I reached out to the FDA myself and I said, hey, I want to set up, you know, a meeting. And they came and they said, whoa, whoa, we're going to have to shut you down. You're not doing it. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, you know, you're not following. It's called juice HACCP, which is essentially the requirement that the FDA has set in. This was after you thought you were doing everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my, my pitch to them was like, I reached out to you, you know, with the intent of I want to make sure that everything we do is by code and is so work with us. And they, you know, they really actually did an amazing job and gave us an opportunity to kind of work with them, hire on consultants, and make sure that our practice met all of their requirements. So fortunately, we did not end up getting shut down or closed or paused. But, you know, again, it was just one of those moments where, you know, and truthfully, like, I really believe that anyone in food and beverage has an obligation to our customers to make sure that what we put out there is safe to consume. Of course. Mm -hmm. So it's always been, you know, um, it it was a great lesson to learn. Mm -hmm. 
You know, a lot of times when we talk to business owners, whether on the podcast or offline, a lot of them, you know, talk about how, you know, I don't want to say their main duty, but their their focus is really on, you know, making money for their investors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I sometimes think that that's a little weird just because, um, you know, especially in the food and beverage business, you're customers should be the most important because they're the ones number one buying your product giving you feedback um you know have you had any experience like that well uh, or yeah you know? i mean unfortunately i can't speak to too yeah. much of it because we're we're yeah. really unique um mm-hmm. uh, one thing i'll start by saying is is what the comment you just made i couldn't agree with more you know i always echo the sentiment of our customers are our bosses yeah you know i mean they are the ones that we should be listening to and allowing them to influence the decisions we make as a business um with regard to kind of the investor side um we were so fortunate to have such a dynamic response that i believe we got to over 20 locations self-funded wow. so we never really had you know, we never really just reinvesting back in the business. Yeah, I mean, just every penny we made yeah, would yeah. open another location or add another team member, and so we built the infrastructure without having to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of listen to anyone. Right. Just kind of ba- and don't get me wrong, we made plenty of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, we made a, uh, more good decisions than we did mm-hmm. mistakes. Um, but so I can't really relate mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. to the early on Got days it, yeah. of of you know. That partnership of mm-hmm. bringing on money and the mm-hmm. dynamic that it often changes for sure. Um, so yeah, and that's definitely like a very important topic because uh, just just kind of piggyback off of that. Like as as a founder, many many people look at founders and think like, oh, they're the ones in control, or they're the boss, or whatever it may be. And that's absolutely not true because they're actually answering to the customers, and the customers are the ones that you know calling the shots and saying, no, this is what we want, or that's what we want. So it's like having the ability to listen. To the customer, totally. I, th- I think it's a blend. You know, I, th- I always say like I think it's we are a leader in this space, so we need to a make sure that we're educated and b make sure that we're confident with the products that we put out there and we'll stand behind them. But with that, there's that equal part of at the same time we don't want to be an organization that's dictating what people need to consume. And going back to that original point of we want to be for all, mm-hmm. like we need to make sure that. We are listening to for all and the people mm-hmm. and like what it is that they're looking for so that we can kind of find that perfect blend. How do you measure success for press juicery? Yeah. So me personally, because if you ask me and you ask my CFO, you're going to get two <laughs> totally different questions. <laughs> you personally. Answers. Um, you know, someone said to me a quote years ago and it it's become one of my favorite quotes in the world. And it's this, you know, success. um, Success means you go to sleep at night knowing that you took all your advantages and strengths and used them in a way to help others. Hmm. Um, and, and I actually, you know, I find that to be, uh, I often find that to be how I, how I define success here at Prest, which is, don't get me wrong, we always harp on the mistakes and the areas that we can improve, but it's equally as important for us to pause, step back, and look at the work that we're doing read the testimonials that we receive. I mean, not to sound arrogant, but we say internally all the time that every time a press juicery store opens, we are bettering that community. We're, you know, flooding it with vitamins, we're flooding it with nutrients, we're removing, you know, products that really shouldn't be consumed, the sodas, the Cokes, the products made with, you know, added sugars and whatnot. So there's this idea of the product alone of what we create is something that 
you know, yeah. uh, def- in a way define success. It's, it's bettering people who are consuming it. I know early on, I mean, pretty much from the moment you opened your doors, you had customers, you know, wanting to buy. Was there a moment maybe, you know, in the first couple of years or f- first few years that you were like, all right, this is going to be like a, an actual company and it's going to be big? Yeah. So yes and no. <laughs> like there, there were moments where there was, so year one and two was insanity. I mean, like every time we'd open a shop, like we'd get lines out the doors and it was like, wh- like, what is this? And mm. our numbers were unheard of. I mean, when I really started understanding retail metrics, I mean, we were surpassing the greats like Apple, you know, like our, our per, you know, yeah. square foot metrics were, were insanity. Um, when you got to your three and four, not so much. Uh, and what happened was, if you look at the landscape, you know, cold pressed juice was was we were we were definitely one of the first guys to to enter. And when you look at three and four, I think a, a lot of uh, a lot of others decided to enter the space. Probably using the same uh, manufacturer of the bottle. Today. I, I don't know about the same manufacturer, but <laughs> I would say the same bottle, same yeah, look, same, the same, same name, shape, the same yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and look, you know, year four, I believe there were 26 juice shops in a 1.7 mile radius in West That's Hollywood. Wow. So if you think about it, it's and it's no different than any other, you know, I mean, people see what's working and, and everyone wants to enter the space. It happened with cupcakes. It's happened with ice cream. It's happened with Froyo. You know, it's it's I mean, you see with salads now. I mean, now fitness is everyone's doing boxing and spin. And and so it's not unusual, but. Mm. You know, I, I won't lie, like there were a couple of moments in those years where we were thinking, okay, are we going to make it through? Mm-hmm. How did you deal with that? You know, I think it's kind of um, perspective. You know, you can focus on what's wrong or you can focus on what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say, and, and I still say, uh, I really believe in competition. You know, I, I believe it creates more awareness in the community and for the product. And at my core, I believe that product wins, and I'm really proud of what we put on shelves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the mentality that we always took. Uh, at the same time, we made decisions that protected us. Mm-hmm. We were probably one of the only guys that, like, ex- you know, when I say focused to the extreme on our back end, I mean, we are true manufacturers. So when a lot of the other guys started popping up, it was the brand. And, and often, you know, when you look at the space, people recognize or, or attribute some of our success to what they see, hmm. you know, to the look and feel of the brand, the right. look and feel of the store, the flavor profiles, the names. But the truth, the truth is the secret sauce to what we do has always been the back end. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when it comes to, to the manufacturing side, like we're world class. Mm-hmm. So on that note, how do you, how do you see the the future of the juice you know space uh, panning out? Is it, it, do, you, do you see it becoming more so like the Froyo space where it was like there's so many that entered and which, which is most industries and then just kind of a couple you know yeah unfortunately and I mean lasting. unfortunately like that shakeout has already begun so mm-hmm. a lot of kind of the mom pause the you know the the companies that have gotten to 12, uh, 20 shops are unfortunately disappearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the reason is they didn't really focus on the back end enough. Um, you know, our manufacturing, I, I say it, but it's it's sophisticated and different in the sense where I have capabilities of making juice as fresh as if it were made to order, but I can do it at costs that would rival some of the big boys like Coke and Pepsi. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that unique element, Prest has always been kind of 
uh, able to uh, to kind of lead in the space, um, but more than lead, really kind of support the mission, which is this for all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have this promise. We always say, you know, make it taste great, make it delicious, make it nutritious, make it accessible, make it affordable, make it for everyone. Uh, and yes, they're all important, and taste and nutrition, of course, is of course is crucial. Um, but what we think, what we harp on, what we think really differentiates us is accessibility and affordability. Mm. So to kind of answer your question, you know, I often get asked what keeps you up at night, uh, and and it really is the white space of where you can take this. You know, I used to I used to obsess. Ever since I started press, I become like a student of Starbucks. And I and I have so much admiration for Howard Schultz. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing and I, story. Pardon? He has an amazing story. It's amazing, and what he's yeah. done has never yeah. been done. And it's you know, and and what I what I've what oh, there she goes. Yeah, Hopefully someone's okay. <laughs> um, you know what what he's done that is that is or what I obsess over is Starbucks has essentially trained our country that five dollars is an appropriate price to pay for beverage. And if I can replace beans with four to five pounds of produce, there's a lot of white space of where I can bring this concept still mm-hmm. and these yeah. products. Finley's back. Yep. Got Finley in the room. <laughs> Finley missed the founder hey, Finley. <laughs> a quick back. UPS guy, and now she's back. <laughs> so one, one question I love asking founders is, you know, obviously, you know, you're, you, you're, you're working a lot as a founder and focusing on your business, whether it's the day-to-day or growing it. Uh, what do you do when you're not working? Yeah, what's, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, you know, there was, there was a couple of years, or the first couple of years, where like this, this consumed 99.9% of my time. Um, and even when you force yourself to not work, you're still in the mindset of it, so mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to escape. Um, you know, and, and that, I felt, really took a toll on me, on a, on a, uh, you know, in so many different ways. Um, for me, you know, I think that I really do my best, not just professionally, but in my life when I'm as balanced as I possibly can be. And, you know, making time to hang out, you know, I'm not currently in a relationship, but hanging out with my friends, making time for my family, making time for me, you know. I, I try to, you know, wake up every morning and get outside Either, you know, go go on a hike or go down to the beach. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, find time to give back to my community in different ways. Um, find time for hobbies, exploring things that excite me. You know, travel is so important to me. So every couple of weeks I'll just like... So you're in Japan recently, right? Yeah, I was just in Japan for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, most of it was work, but then I, you know, <laughs> took that tail half that last weekend and just did some exploring on my own before I came back. Um, but I find that when I, when I really got all of the pieces of the pie, you know, and I'm really focusing on all versus just the one piece of work, uh, I'm, I have the ability to kind of do my best, even, even here, you know, at Prest. Hayden, early on you mentioned, or not early on, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned about, um, you know, recognizing your weaknesses. And I think that, you know, being as a founder, being honest with yourself about what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what you're passionate about, really have a greater effect not only on yourself but the organization as a whole, because you know what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Um, this is like my least favorite interview question uh, when I get interviewed. But 
what do you consider some of your weaknesses and how do you deal with that as the founder and CEO of Press Juicery? Yeah, definitely not a, a, a problem that I'm afraid to answer. <laughs> um, in fact, I think it's like important that founders are more transparent and honest about it because mm-hmm. we definitely all have weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I've got a shit ton of them. <laughs> you know, for me, it's... Uh, like I said, I'm really confident in my ability to lead this organization. I'm probably a better leader than I am manager. Um, being a film major and being a creative, you know, I, I love, you know, I tend to focus more on the creative side of the organization. I never anticipated in a million years that business in a way is creative. You wake up every morning to a different fire and you have to creatively mm-hmm. think of how you put it out. Yeah, you're more like a firefighter. Totally, you know. Um <laughs> But for me, it's just, it's the transparency of not, I don't know everything, but I don't know a lot, you know, and how do we as this team really put our heads together with one common goal? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and by team, you know, I don't just look to kind of the experts with a lot of experience. You know, some of our guys, some of our team members are fresh out of college and have some of the best ideas. So it's, it's the openness to listen to each other and hear each other out, mm-hmm. uh, especially among different generations, which is when I see like the magic happen. Mm-hmm. I love stories. And, uh, you know, I try to make sure that every person we sit down with, there's some sort of story besides their own story that we take away. Um, you know, with Press Juicery, I'm sure that there's been so many testimonials, like you've said. Uh, and obviously, you know, your friend with, you know, that had cancer, you know, years ago, obviously, is a fantastic story. But with, you know, Press Juicery specifically, has there been any, you know, story that you've heard of that it changed someone's life for the better and you thought to yourself, like, that this is why I did it? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we get stories all the time from, you know, elder people to kids. I mean, I remember when we were early on, Carly, my partner, called me hysterically crying and I was like, what? And she was like, there's a group of elementary school kids pooling together their dollars to buy a greens juice. And I was like, well, why are you crying? <laughs> she was like, I mean, how beautiful is that? She was like, we weren't eating that when we were kids, you know? Um, so I think there's that one side of just the impact that the product is making on people's lives and how fulfilling that is to be a part of their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other exciting story is the story of Pressed, you know. I mean, you got three people who set out to really create uh, something, you know, pursue something we were passionate about and create a product that we wanted to share for our friends and family. Mm-hmm. Like that was really the extent of it. Never did we anticipate that you know, just a short few years later, we would be creating juice for all friends, all families, you know, and the story within the, you know, we didn't have a business plan. We didn't have a mission. You know, I, I had an opportunity to meet with Rodney Hines a couple of years ago, who's, you know, philanthropy at Starbucks. And I looked at him and I made this comment of, you know, I'm realistic that Prest is not going to remedy this domestic nutrition crisis that our country's in. But, and he interrupted me and he said, why can't you? You know, and it was the first time that I really was like, whoa, you know, like we aren't just this, you know, broom closet and on the West Side. I mean, we've got 70 stores. We're a massive produce buyer. Like, how do we really kind of take our strengths and and really kind of put it in in ways that we didn't maybe maybe Mm -hmm. think of when we when we launched Mm -hmm. the organization? And, you know, that was my next question, because we've now sat down with folks that, you know, deal with food and beverage from, um, you know, Tender Greens, Mendocino Farm. Yeah, restaurants to CPG. Yeah, restaurants. I love yeah. Mario. Yeah, yeah. Mar- <laughs> yeah. Mar- Mario's, Mario's the man. Uh, and then, you know, 
Robert Ager who runs LA Kitchen and started DC Kitchen. So a lot of you know, you know they all talk about supply chain and you know um, you know the green kind of economy and being you know good to the land. Um, on a, from an educational standpoint, I feel like that's what we're missing. Is the, you know people just don't know enough about their bodies, their health what they should be putting in to their bodies. Is there anything press juicery or even yourself as an individual uh, are doing to counter that? And also, you know, focus on what, you know, you discussed with uh, the Starbucks philanthropy. Uh, you said Ronnie or Rodney? Rodney Hines. Rodney yeah. Hines. Uh, you know, w- what are the steps that you're taking to actually, you know, change this country and the yeah. way that we, you know, see nutrition. Totally. You know, I, I, I grew up, I was a kid at Tom's. I think what Blake did, that one for one, really mm-hmm. resonated for me. You know, I would buy a pair. I don't know where it went, but I know it was going to someone who needed it. And I'm wearing it. one right now. Yeah, and you know, it really it really had an impact yeah. on me. And I have a lot of admiration for yeah. anyone who has a component of give back in their mm-hmm, organization. Mm-hmm. For me personally, I'm a believer that there's significant work in our own backyard that needs to be accomplished. And I focus on community, you know. So there's there's so many ways in which Prest participates. Um, a lot of it is we just show up, you know, here internally. You know, when there's a, a shooting in Vegas, when there's, you know, fires in our backyard, how do we just get product to the first responders, to the victims, to the people in need? You know, that that's kind of what we try to focus on. Um, you know, and the other thing is, you know, Kind of what you what you said about how do you how do you give advice or help people? Again, you know, you can only pe- help people who want to be helped. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only educate people on the one uh, people who are interested and eager to learn more. You know, education is no longer do this because it's good for you. Education is trial. Show people that healthy stuff doesn't have to taste bad. Show people mm-hmm. that you can make a you know an alternative to froyo that's actually good for mm-hmm. you. You know, that, that's kind of what we do is less of like standing on, you know, uh, up high, ta- you know, dictating our, t- it's really showing that, you know, like there's nothing more rewarding to me personally than being in one of my shops, watching a new customer come in who's never had a green juice and refuses to try it because it's yeah. a salad in a bottle or it's going to taste bad or and, something like my dad would say. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and really watching them experience their first one and be blown away by, yeah. wow, I never thought something like this could uh-huh. taste so good. Uh-huh. You know, I love that because it reminds me of a quote I read, you know, a few months ago. Uh, and, you know, the cliche practice what you preach. But whoever said this said, it's not practice what you preach, it's preach what you practice. You know, and I think that you've personally done an incredible job of preaching what you practice through the product that you have. And I love alliteration, so I was like, how do I get another third P in there? Um, but I think you've done a fantastic job. Um, and I think, you know, Pat and I are so excited to, you know, have had this conversation with you. And I really hope that those that are listening, you know, are not only fascinated by your story, but also really understand the deeper meaning of press juicery and that it's more than just a company that's looking to make profits. It's a company that's looking to change lives every single day. And so for that, you know, we thank you and hopefully, you know, what you're doing uh, expands beyond, you know, just this country and even, you know, know, internationally and also is just a household name. So, um, you know, keep it up and congratulations on all the efforts so far. Awesome, man. I, I, I appreciate it. You know, I, uh, I very much feel that our purpose here is people, 
you know, and uh, allow that to really kind of embed itself in everything that we do. It's kind of, it feel, it was, it was born by people, it's been built by people, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's exciting to kind of see it come to life, you know, not even knowing that's what we were always working towards, um, but it's been really, really rewarding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, uh, had you told me 10 years ago that I was going to be starting a juice company. I kind of would have laughed in your face and, you know, said you were crazy. Uh, and I think that's what's so exciting is that, you know, we have the ability at people, as people to pivot and kind of pursue things that, that are meaningful and have purpose to us. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel uh, more than anything fortunate to just be in a position where something I love to do has turned into something so much bigger than just a business, mm-hmm. but, you know, a community. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Thanks, Hayden. For Thanks sure. So Thank you guys. And bye, Finley. Yes. <laughs>